You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2022 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Father in heaven, as we begin this morning, we ask you to take our minds and to place them where your mind is right now, on the millions, over 80 million people that are not in their homes anymore, that cannot go to their schools and their places of work, that have lost their network and lost their families, some of their family members, and lost their life as they knew it. We ask that our heart would unite with your heart and that it would move us beyond simply compassion in our, in our feelings to compassion in our action, that we would know how to tangibly care for them and that we would be able to not only care for their physical needs, but recognize their deep mental and emotional needs that are, are yours to minister to, that you've promised to heal and comfort the brokenhearted and to one day wipe away all their tears. More than that, we ask for that ability to share salvation with them, to lead them to, to the ministering of, your, of their greatest need, which is eternal life, a remedy from sin and death. And so, Father, we ask that you would put it together in a package that we can see and feel today and live. Um, please take my words, Julie's words, as we share, and may the Spirit of God be upon us all. And may we all have something that moves us and helps us to live out your work for us today. We lift up the many unreached groups in Michigan and ask that you would um, just take your church and revive them, awaken them, and throw them out into the harvest field as Jesus promised you would do if we prayed and asked you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, my name is Pastor Scott Griswold and my wife, Julie, and we shared in the previous seminar a little bit about our first exposure to refugees and the work that was going on all around Thailand. Thailand was like this one safe place that refugees from Cambodia, Laos, Myanmar, Vietnam kept pouring in. And so that was our first exposure just shortly after we were married. Partway through seminary, God picked us up and threw us out over there. And we ended up spending the next six years in Cambodia working with the church, which was basically a refugee church come back to its own country, scattered and encouraging the work around there. Later, God brought us back to America, then back again to Thailand, working with the Buddhist Study Center, helping to uh, equip the church in reaching out to Buddhist people wherever they are. And then, and then about the time that our parents were getting to the place where we felt we needed to be around and our children were ready for college and academy, he brought us back and we were asking the question, why are we here? We speak Cambodian and Thai now. We should be over there in the mission field. And he opened our eyes to see in Houston and many other cities that God has brought the world here. And as Ellen White says, we should be able to see in the multiplying opportunities to reach many foreigners in America a divinely appointed means of rapidly extending the third angel's message into all the nations of earth. That's in the book Evangelism, page 570. And it's inside the booklet Praying for the World Next Door, which you can find, reach, you can find at reachtheworldnextdoor.com. And let me just mention that site as a place you can go now to find out about Michigan. We've researched that just in the last week and have placed that. If you go to reachtheworldnextdoor.com, 
forward slash Michigan, you'll be able to see that. We'll look at that some more as we get into what we're doing so you know the resources that are there. But just want to make sure that's there. And also a resource called mylanguagemylife.com, which, which has more than 180 languages, biblical materials, Seventh-day Adventist materials, the Jesus film, Adventist World Radio, Hope Channel, anything we can find in their language that they can share. And again, we'll look at that more as we go along. But I wanted to just give that, that part. I'm going to share, Julie, just for a few minutes on, from, from the Word of God, and then we'll go into sharing a little bit of our experience in tangibly reaching out to the physical needs of refugees. And so we'll look at that. That'll be more of our focus today is, is what are their needs? How are people meeting those needs? What has our experience been? And how do we put it together? If you have a Bible with you, turn to Isaiah chapter 58. I find this chapter to be so inspiring, so encouraging, that I go back to it again and again. We find ourselves as a Seventh-day Adventist church in this passage. It has been our mandate from the early history of our church, and I believe God has given it to his people to help them to realize the fullness of what he wants us to be at the end of time. We don't have time to go through the whole thing. Uh, we've, Ellen White wrote that we should memorize this chapter, and I believe it's the most referred to chapter in the entire Bible in her writings. So if that stirs your heart to read it and study more, it sure does mine. But as God addresses through Isaiah the, the religious nature of his people without the heart of love, he challenges them to wake up. They're fasting, they're praying, they're approaching God. He's not listening to them. He's not responding. And he says, let me show you the kind of fast I really want you to be about. Verse 6, he says, is not this the fast that I've chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. I never saw the refugee there before, before the last few years. But he specifically says, the poor who are cast out. And I have found out that in the scriptures, the most oft-repeated command after the command to love the Lord your God with all your heart is the command to love and care for widows, orphans, and refugees, as we mentioned yesterday. When God puts it as that high of priority, that high of importance, we have to ask not only, okay, where shall I go, what shall I do, but why? Why is it so important to him? What is it that, that God is wanting to say? And the next verse helps us to understand. Verse 8, it says, Then your light shall break forth like the morning, your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you, the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. It goes on. It gets into the places that we've often quoted as Seventh-day Adventists. We are the repairs of the, re of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. This is the work of God's people to raise up truth, to, to restore truth that's been lost through the centuries. And it ends by talking about the Sabbath truth, which has been forgotten, though God said, remember the Sabbath day. 
But often, because of our focus on truth and the importance of taking the three angels' messages to the entire world, we have neglected the first part of it. We've forgotten that he balanced the two, that he said truth is spoken and lived. Truth is best understood when it's seen, lived out by a people who care. And even right into the heart of the Sabbath commandment, God has put the stranger that dwells in your gates. Why would the strangers be with them? Why was God so insistently speaking to them about caring for the stranger among you? What would bring them there? Who would leave their own tribe to come join the tribe of Israel unless they were persecuted, unless they were in the middle of war, unless there was famine that drove them across their own borders into the borders of the Jews? And so God says to them, remember, you were strangers in Egypt. I called you out. I rescued you. Please take care of the stranger in your midst. And so he says the same to us today. Part of your mission as a Seventh-day Adventist church, as you're lifting up truth, is to lift up the truth that God loves those who are in heartache, those who are struggling, those who are hurting, and invites us to do so. And the phrases that we find here, your righteousness shall go before you, the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard, are words that are directly tied to two chapters over in Isaiah chapter 6. We love this passage because it inspires us about the end of time. Isaiah 60, that it's not just going to be a time of persecution and time of trouble such as we've never seen before. It's going to be a time of incredible glory, incredible beauty as the world beholds God. Verse 1, it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Not just glory somewhere in the sky, not just glory in a special message about Jesus, but his actual glory seen through his church. Verse 2, Behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. Can't you feel it? As we see Ukraine torn apart, as we see Afghanistan dissolve again and again and again into misery and war, as we see the pain and suffering across the world and the knowledge of God being wiped out from an entire generation in North America, the young generation, losing it through media and through the education, the public school systems, and so many things. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. And it goes on to describe how the nations will turn to God's people. But note those words, light, glory shows that the righteousness of God is something very real and tangible, something that can be seen in his people. So that in our message of righteousness by faith, while we loudly proclaim the beautiful truth that through Christ and Christ alone our sins are covered and his righteousness is placed on our account, nothing of our own, not a single thread of our own in that garment of Christ's righteousness. But the Bible also makes clear that he also comes and dwells in our heart with his very real righteousness so that when Jesus finally stands in judgment, he can say, I was a stranger and you took me in. I was a refugee and you took me in. That's one of those crucial phrases phrases there and it divides the people between the goat and the sheep, those who come in and those who do not. And while we always struggle and say, wait a minute, why is there a judgment when we're saved by faith? We understand clearly Jesus says, here is my righteousness 
that I give to you as the man who was invited to the banquet feast received a free invitation along with the good, bad, and the ugly. Everybody can come. But it depended on whether he had placed on him the cloak, the garment given by the king, whether he could stand. So Jesus is the one who provides it all. And he includes that, the love for the stranger, the love for the least of those, the care for refugees becomes part of his righteousness by which his church is known at the end of time. And so that's why we cannot just say, oh, good job, World Relief. Nice job, Catholic Charities. Glad you're reaching out to the refugees. We'll get them later and tell them the truth when the Sabbath crisis comes. No way. He needs us now to rise up and to live out his love holistically, caring. As the passage goes on, study Isaiah 58. You'll see it is a call to care for the physical needs, for those who are in sickness, for those who are broken to extend your soul um, to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your own healing will come and God will bless and of course the spiritual realities as well. So, so this, this picture we can find throughout the scriptures, we can find it as an important part of God's work and his glory shining at the end of time. And yesterday as we felt the pain of refugees, as we went through the simulation in which we lost important people to us. Some of us, every family member in the simulation that we did, we lost things that mattered to us and we found out they didn't matter so much compared to the family. We lost things that we could do, that we were able to, the freedom. And through that, God spoke to our hearts to feel a little more what they go through and how much more as we become their friends as we, as we share with them, as we come close to them. This has been our experience as we have come near to refugees and spent time with those who, who have gone through this. I knock on a door in our apartment complexes that we serve in Houston, Texas, and they, a friend opens up and, and says, come in. And I say, are you sure you've got company? Four or five men sitting on the floor eating bread and and, and chicken together. And he says, no, 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 come on in. And I sit down there, and before I can barely say hello, a man pulls out his phone, a man I've never met. And he says, look, this is my brother. They killed him. The Taliban took him out of his house, and they killed him on the street, only because he worked to try to provide for his family, worked with the U.S. government, broken, and everyone else piping in. Their hearts heavy with their family on the other side. The lady just down, the, down the, the hall turning to us and saying to Julie, I can't reach my family anymore. The internet is down. I don't know if I'm ever going to see them again. We've been doing ministry among refugees off and on for a long time because I haven't gone through it myself. It's still slowly breaking into my mind what people are carrying. They smile at us. They, they've gotten a job in America. They've learned English. And, and still years later, they're carrying the heartache in their heart, still separated by years from those they love. And so he calls us. And I, and I come now to you with the question we ended with yesterday. Since Jesus has asked us to love them as we love ourselves, if it were you, what would you want somebody to do for you when you have newly arrived in America? 
So whether you've had a chance to think about it over the evening or just now, I'm going to walk around with the, with the mic here, and I just want you to share what's coming to your mind. What is it we can do for the stranger that God has brought to be our neighbors? Give you a moment to think. I know it's a sobering, serious feel that comes. Yes. Well, I would feel very broken and shaken and damaged. I appreciate that. It's just the gentleness in the way you're saying it. I can feel how important that is. Because sometimes people of other cultures, even when you're working with them and trying to help them, we've seen them get impatient and like almost demanding because they're in such need. And we have to step back and say, wait a minute. These are people with dignity who used to be doctors and teachers in their own country. And now they're working in a chicken factory and struggling to provide for their family. They need a loving, patient, gentle, gentle at the mercy of the people around them. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you. Pastor Stewart. I was just going to say that uh, what we found is that sometimes uh, as we work with um, American people that are homeless or whatever, we get an impression sometimes that, you know, you need to get your act together. You know, and we're kind of impatient with them because there's no language barrier, really. You know, they speak English, we speak English. And, and yet we get impatient with them and we don't, um, we think they ought to be able to understand. And sometimes what I found is we take that same attitude and we, we apply it to refugees, people that don't speak the same language and don't have the same culture or traditions or anything like that. And it's so important, as you were saying, to be patient with them, to be understanding, to recognize that everything here is totally different to them. They have no clue of how to live life in America because this is a first world country and many of them come from third world countries. And so it's so vital to treat them with dignity and to, have, um, and to not come across as though you're condescending Impatient. Amen. Amen. Well put. We come here and then come over there. Uh, it reminds me of the time when I came into the U.S. from Malawi. Um, we had a different experience back home. And then when I came over here, I went to our church, East Lansing Church. Um, the way they welcomed me, that was what was more important to me. Uh, they went and they were not making assumptions, but they were asking me if they need, I needed any help. What what help would I need? And that's the one one important thing. We have to ask, what, how can we help the ones who have come in? Because if we may say, oh, maybe you need this, you need that. They may not necessarily need that particular thing, but if you ask them, they might actually tell you what things they are actually lacking. And uh, of course, in, 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 I came in, in winter, and it was cold, and somebody gave me a coat. Even boots. I, I appreciated that to this day. So praying with them and asking them and uh, just interacting with them to, to hear what, how you can be able to assist them, that would be an important thing. Amen. Thank you, Brother Wilson. Appreciate that very much. So a couple of hands over here. An example, we had a refugee family come to Kalamazoo right when COVID hit. And the church was asked to do things. And then the people couldn't help much because they were elderly and there was a concern. The biggest thing I felt was the need was to go and sit in their home, even though I'm a super busy teacher, and what do they really need? 
and assure them that I will be there for the long haul, even though I'm busy. We got them into church school. We got sponsors. We got my kids to give them so they could drive. Um, we, we, even though I couldn't do it all. In fact, I have one right now. I said, she said, you'll help me still, even though I'm graduating. And yes, I'll be get your license. There for the long haul. And help finding other people to meet the needs you can't meet. But they've got to get an education. They've got to eat. They've got to drive. So working with agencies and making sure they get what they really need. And yes, we can do it. Yes, you have time, because you have more time than I do. <laughs> well, just a moment. Let me unpack that for a moment. You've said so much, April. Um, number one, we're super busy. And yet, if we will, we can take time, even if it's for just one family. And they may have many needs, but there are agencies out there who are ministering to these needs that we can find out about and we can connect them. They don't have a network anymore. You think about it, if you were suddenly homeless, suddenly got kicked out of your house, think of all the people you know who would help you. They've lost all that. So you become that link to a wider network. Your church can help you meet their needs. Your family can help. Many children rise up as I see their parents reaching out. I see the kids come alive in ministering and making friends and finding meaning. These are things that can connect. And yes, if you can be there as a friend, it can save your own children. It can help. If you can be there on that longer term, longer, longer term friendship, there is nothing that they need more to help them integrate than a friendship like that. Someone else had a hand up. Yes, please tell me your name as you speak. Chris, thank you. Um, I was selling something on Facebook last fall or midterm thing, and a guy responded, and I could tell from his name that he was foreign. I couldn't read his name. Um, and I thought at first he was messing with me because it just wasn't clicking. It was just really weird. But he did come and get what I was selling. And he said something about being new to the country. And I kept calling me mom, oh. which I thought he meant ma'am. <laughs> but I thought it was endearing. And so I can't, my mom and dad passed away. We were going through their house, and I contacted him and said, can you, need, can you use some stuff? I got a winter coat. I've got some kitchen stuff. I didn't know what to give, but I just thought, you know, I just felt impressed to give. And um, so I did, and I met him, and um, he was very grateful. He gave me his number and his name. And I didn't know what else to do for him. I still have his number somewhere, but I, you know, I don't know what else to do. For, I came back to the church and said, I'd like to start an English class, but I don't know how to do that. And so that never went any farther. I don't have a teacher in the church that could do that to help them with English. But we live by um, Coldwater, and there's a lot. There's a large Muslim presence in Coldwater. And this was right after Afghanistan the refugees came in. So I was guessing maybe he was from Afghanistan, but I don't know. And I Amen. don't know how to help him. Amen. Praise the Lord for that first initial contact and that care and for even what you're expressing. I don't know what to do. That's why we're here together and we're going to talk together more about tangible things we can do and, and how to, to do that. Shirley, I'll come on over to you there. I'm going to speak to the trauma. I was fortunate to be connected with the NCS out in California, in San Diego, and what they were doing, and then found out later that there's been some studies 
other people help people that have come out through tremendous trauma. Number one, we have no way of really understanding them. But if you will get them together, and gardening is one of the key things. They found out in San Diego, and then when I started looking around there in Battle Creek, there was already a lady who was from that country. And so she knew when the refugees came in that gardening was the big, the big thing. So everywhere near where they were in apartment buildings, she went to the city and different things and got uh, like urban plots set. So because the people then can feel there's something they can do, they're out in the sunshine, they're helping each other because they understand. And that's and we had the other thing was we had sewing where the ladies could come and talk to each other. And so if you can connect them with helping each other, it's also a big thing where we can't really understand. Beautiful. I encourage you to talk more with Shirley. They've, she and her husband and others have been reaching out a lot in Battle Creek over the last quite a few years. Some experience in the area of teaching English and um, different ways. Did you? Amen. Amen. Yes, sister. Yes. Um, three things I just wanted to mention, um, and they're really unrelated. Pastor Stewart said something about you know how do we help? Sometimes we are faced with meeting up with homeless people, and we think oh they should be able to help themselves or some of these social services. Um, I I read um, a couple years ago that the homeless actually, when they are homeless, their brain, something happens to their brain that's rewired. And that's why sometimes when you give them some room or a, a little apartment, they'll put their stuff in the room and they'll go back to the streets. So it's really a rewiring in the brain and there's really not much a person can do except to understand that, I think, and help them if they can. Um, the other thing is that we in Ann Arbor um, have uh, had two different types of refugees. We've had the Rwandan refugees that came about three years ago, so we've we've um, been working with them, and they they are they were Adventists, so they're they're attending church and just working with them, and encouraging and helping when possible. And then you have the the Afghani refugees, which with whom we've been working as well, and it really hit me that those are two totally different types of situations. Mm -hmm. And you've got refugees that came from living in a camp for 25 years, and a lot of the kids, that their children were born in the camps. Mm -hmm. And then you have the Afghanis who have had to flee at a moment's notice. And they are professionals mm -hmm. and educated in most cases, certainly the ones that we um, have run across. Um, so... We just have to think differently when we approach them and um, help them in diff kind of di different ways. Some of them know English, some of them, mm -hmm. and the language is different. It's not uh, it's not Arabic. It's Pashto Persian. So even that is different. You can't treat them as you would somebody maybe from the Middle East because they're mm -hmm. a different they're a different culture, similar but different. Um, so those are the the things that. Um, that we've been, you know, adjusting to as a church, especially the people that have been working with them. And the last unrelated thing, um, one of one family that 
uh, Afghani family that I've gotten particularly close to and, and met in their homes and um, shared things that were necessities. I, I, I've been working with them. I know what they need, and I know what they get from social services, and, and we have to fill the gaps. But they have four children, and their oldest is 13, and um, here's the link. I've read an article in, I think it was the New York Times, that there's a big business in Afghanistan right now because people can't support themselves. They can't work and so, so on and so forth. But the, they're selling kidneys. They're selling mm. the children's kidneys. And the article featured a boy, I think he was one of 12. I think he was the oldest or maybe the second oldest, but the father had to choose who's which one of his children is needs to sell his kidney. And the young boy wasn't really, it didn't seem like he knew what was happening. And so the they, they took it out, sold it, and he has been having health problems. Mm-hmm. And you can even see, I mean, it was, there's some reputable articles that talk about that there's a village, and I haven't read the article yet, that where it's everybody's so it's just, and, and then I thought this family that I that I knew, if they had stayed because they were working for the American government, if they had stayed, would they have had to resort to something like mm-hmm. that just to support their families? So there's just a lot of sadness. There's just a lot of sadness. But, you know, I told them when I sat in their living room, I said, you know, I just want to let you know I'm here for you. I care about you. It doesn't matter if you can't speak. I didn't tell them this. They can't speak English, and I can't speak, speak Pashto. But we communicate. Google Translator has become my best friend. <laughs> and um, it works. It, it works. It translates you know, what's WhatsApp. So anyway, you just do what you can. You just want to care, care about them. And let, they, they need to feel that. Thank you very much, Pat. You have shared, again, a heap of ideas, a heap of information that we could reflect on and think about. And, and I would just take and summarize, um, summarize, be a learner. Mm-hmm. Be a learner. You don't have to know what to do to reach out and care. It's as you begin to do so, as you begin to love and help, that they feel the love and they are helped, even if it's not perfect. And then you learn, okay, what is somebody else doing to help? Or what is their need? Now I know what they really need. I know the social services in Ann Arbor, and that was a, because I have special needs students, so I know all the social. And there's so many services and that can help out as Amen. well that I can go to and get items that are needed for a, a lot less. Very good. Very important. As Julie is about to share with you a little more about what we've been doing in Houston, I wanted I wanted to show you a page on our website that we just added last night, and um, this will this will give you some confidence that you can find help if you go to reachtheworldnextdoor.com forward slash Michigan. Well, if you have your phone, we can do it right now, and then because you can't really see it real well. But if you want to just do it on your phone so you can see how easy it is and what's there, the resources at your fingertips. Yes, I'm taking a moment to get connected myself. I thought I was. So it's so. 
The whole website has a lot of ideas that will continue to stir your mind on things that you can do, as well as videos that you can use to promote and share with others. But um, this specifically connects you with with the um, the agencies that are here. We found that if people will go and connect with a refugee resettlement agency nearby, they have volunteer opportunities, they have training that they provide, and if you don't know somebody yet that's needing your help, they're a good, a good place to go, go to. Um, ReachTheWorldNextDoor.com and then, and then go to, um, and then go to, you can see it right on the front page where it says help in Michigan at the bottom of the front page, or you can put forward slash Michigan. There it's coming coming up there now. If you if you look up there, it's going to be small. Um, but as you go down there, you can see for Battle Creek, Dearborn, Detroit, Grand Rapids, Holland, Kalamazoo, Lansing, Mus Muskegon, Traverse Traverse City, Troy. Uh, there are there are agencies working in all of those places that can then be of assistance. Yes, Shirley. I'm glad you talked about working with these other agencies. I was trained in with the Lutheran Services there in Michigan. And sometimes we think we have to do it all on our own. But when we do, we're isolated. Nobody knows what we're doing. When we join these other organizations, then you reach a totally different echelon. And it introduces you to people in town, other resources, but you start getting known, and it's it's an outreach that we sometimes forget about. That's one thing COVID has really done for me. It's thrown me into the city <laughs> and connecting with other people, and it's the same mm -hmm. way with the refugees. Mm -hmm. So we, we don't have to be isolated. We're much better. And then instead of just ministering to the, to the refugees, you've got all these other people that you can minister to as well. Mm -hmm. Some may thank you. Some may be concerned, well, how do we maintain our distinctiveness as a Seventh-day Adventist people if we are working with other organizations that don't hold some of the same values? And, and I have found that, number one, we are called to share our uniqueness with our fellow brothers and sisters in other Christian communities. So you, you be the light, you be the salt among them as you're sharing. But also... As time goes by, you're not able to, I mean, you're, you may be limited in what you can share verbally during that first initial time of helping a refugee. Usually, see, see, these organizations are receiving funding from the government for a limited time for each refugee, usually three months. After those three months, it's finished. So their job is to help them get a job, to get a, a house, to get safety, to get in school in those first few months. But after that, the needs are still there in huge ways. If you have established relationships with those individuals, then afterwards you are free to continue on in those relationships and you are the friend that they have made. And as then you are able to share in spiritual conversations, which you should be seeding all along. These are many times people who do believe in God, who are happy to have you pray, who are happy to hear that you're a spiritual person and they learn about that along the way you will be able to shine your distinctives that will be a blessing to them as, as you go. Yes, Shirley. That's a good point. We've had two, two things. 
One was when I started, first started working with the um, started working with Eastern Michigan University. We were helping refugees together, and their trainings were always on Sabbath. And I said, I can't come. She said, you're valuable enough to us. We will waive the training, and you can work with us anyway. Mm-hmm. And recently, I have an African gal who's working with me. We found out we had new refugees from the Congo, and the NAACP was spearheading, taking care of them. Their trainings and everything was all on Sabbath. I mean, yeah, on Sabbath. They switched to Friday. So, and we didn't ask. We just, she just said, I can't go on Friday. I'll be glad to get online. And she did. But now they've switched it. Lovely. So we do have you. Amen. Thank you. Julie, will you share a little bit of, of what's happened in Houston? I just wanted to make a few comments. It's so good to be together because this is what this is what it's about. We're learning from each other. I'm already learning some new ideas and things that I did not know. So we need each other to see that we are not isolated, that people are, our churches are coming alive, and I just praise God. It's a beginning, It's not, and we need to just keep praying that this will be one of the departments in our churches because many times our churches are full of women's ministries and children's ministries and prayer ministries, and that's wonderful. But let's get in there. Um, let's get in there in the children's ministries to enlarge, you know, the Pathfinder clubs. Go to the apartment complexes and invite the the Afghani children to join it, or the prayer ministry. Put those unreached people groups or those refugees in those departments. Um, so let's let's continue to be the catalyst in our churches because otherwise everybody is busy and as much as we they want to help they find that they have this committee and they're doing this for the church and that for the church and and the refugees fall by the wayside again and I'm counting I mean I'm talking to myself as well unless it becomes a part of what the church is already doing um, I know we've been in, we're in Houston, and we settled there um, because there, it's one of the largest areas of international students and refugees, and it's just a cosmopolitan of, it's just exciting place because there's just so many um, different people from everywhere. And there's 33 unreached people groups in Houston alone, and there's 75 churches in Houston alone. And so I think that should be kind of easy. If each of the churches begin to adopt an apartment complex, there's hundreds of apartment complexes, and they, ne- they, they gather together, you know, the Rwandans or the Afghanis or the Sudanese or the Somalis. They're, they're kind of, you can kind of tell when you start visiting these apartments where people are and, and who is located close to a church. So if they will adopt an apartment and they just do whatever they can. If it's just to pray and walk around the apartments, we've done that with churches, and just prayer walk around apartments. Um, and then just stay, say, I'm going to stay here, and I'm going to serve these people um, with whatever way we can. And, and if it's just me doing it in my church, and, and I bring back the story to the church, you and you're praying, there's going to be somebody I can tell you that, that comes to you afterwards and, and wants to hear more. And then you invite them to come with you. And all it takes is if you take them 
to the apartment complex with you, whether you're doing a children's program or health expo, or you're just you're just dropping off some food or some um, uh, per, you know, whatever you're doing there, to or just visiting. You meet one family and you go and visit them, and you bring a friend with you. If the people around you know that you're there to care and to be a friend, they're going to start inviting their friends and say, this family needs a help, help too, and this one needs, they just arrived two weeks ago. And pretty soon you're inundated, and that friend that you brought realized, oh my, she needs help. And, and so you say, you take this family and just be friends, love on them, see what their needs are. And that's how it's kind of happened in Houston to the point where now there's, um, out of those 75, there's about 16 churches that are, that are working, volunteering, doing amazing things beyond what I can do because I live a little ways away from the city and, and churches and, and volunteers from, they're just catching the vision and helping and recognizing and it just starts with inviting one and then it kind of multiplies. One of one of the one Get excited of the, <laughs> getting warmed up. One of one of the um, one of the ladies that that started doing the training. We have a reach the world next door training that we'll share more with you about over the next couple of days. But she decided to facilitate it in in her church. There were four of them that got together on Zoom and went through it. And she decided to check in with a refugee resettlement agency. And they said, yes, you're welcome to volunteer. We need people to receive the Afghans and to help them get settled in their apartment. Um, why don't you come and do the training? So Lynn went through that, just was talking with her this morning. We have a prayer call at 7 o'clock Eastern Standard Time on Tuesday mornings. And, and so Lynn went through the training, and then she started preparing apartment complexes. She hadn't even met anybody yet, just helping to make sure everything was there when they would first arrive because they come off the airplane with next to nothing. And then she got to welcome them, go and, and greet them at the airport and bring them. They had a translator with them to help her, and then soon she was using that Google Translate. And then they invited her to sit down and eat with them, so she got to eat that wonderful bread and delicious curry and make further friends. And then she thought, you know, these kids, they're just stuck in the apartment. I see them there each time. I want to take them to the park. And already in that short time, they were ready to trust her to take their children to the park. And so the friendship has been grown. From there, she's involved others. And, and until we've started doing some, some gathering, some churches are like, we're not sure what to do, but we can gather diapers and clothes and some food. And bicycles. And bicycles. They... Use cars if possible, yeah, because they have no way to get to work, and and so so then distribution started to happen, and that's when as this need got bigger, we said, well, let's call the churches together and see what we can do stronger together, and we met for a meeting just this February, called it Synergy for the World Next Door, and about fifteen churches sent representatives. We had over a hundred people. We've been investing for five years. We've been praying. We've been speaking at churches, been encouraging others to do that. And so God takes his little mustard seed and causes it to grow and grow. And there we had gift baskets ready for people to take, and we found specific names 
And then one family took one food basket as a family to that apartment that was expecting them. And as they met them, they became friends. And now, in a couple places, a whole church is ministering to that apartment complex that started with just caring for one family. So that's... Um, I want to I open it now for, for, for questions just for a couple minutes, and then we want to be sure and reserve the last few moments for praying together, because we know prayer is the answer. Prayer is the key to making a difference. Any specific questions that, that are coming to your mind? First of all, a statement is, I think we need to be not afraid to do more than one, because they will help each other. If you help one, I've got 10 young people from an island that I brought here, but they help each other. And then we all feel inadequacy because we're busy. And, and, and I think some of the answers to your question is, maybe it's not a question, but I think that's the biggest thing I think is, is time and how. I just met some people in the Coldwater area that are new from um, Haiti. They have nothing. And I've had to tell them, I'm going to have to wait two weeks because we don't have any church members in the area. I don't know. I'm going to have to find time to find connections. And I think that's the hardest is when you have a caring heart and you're busy working, how do you connect? Maybe that's a question you just keep asking the Lord, you know. And it's a question that you take to Pastor Stewart. He's the multi-ethnic coordinator for the conference. He's the one that invited us to come and share. This is his work at the conference level. Also, you talk to others. You get Shirley's phone number. You think of another church, Shirley Finneman over here, um, who has been doing that networking between different ones. You you talk with your pastor or Adventist community service persons, or you call the next church 20 minutes, hour away, whatever. We are ministering an hour and 15 minutes from the refugees where, where God has led us to live. So it's not easy. We can't do it near as much as we'd like to. But it's one thing at a time, done with prayer, done with much love, and it slowly grows over time. And yes, people have to wait, but they're not starving. They may be close to it, some of them, but we're in America where it's that long-term friendship with different needs as we can and teaching them to pray and say, Lord, please provide for my need. Don't, don't look to me for your need. Let's pray together and let's see how God is going to answer it. And we move that. Any other questions or thoughts? Yes. So um, about three years ago when our first Rwandan family came, we, we quickly realized that we really needed it to make that, uh, to take it in front of the board to make it an official ministry or refugee ministry so people could donate it, donate to it. So we didn't have really any activity or anybody coming for a couple of years and then all of a sudden many people started coming and we really need, we had something that we could go to. We had enough in our fund for the basics. So a couple winter coats, because they needed them right away. So we were able to secure some. And I do have to share one more thing. Um, my son who, who uh, works at a fraternity in girls, yeah, fraternity in Ann Arbor came to me the other day and he said, you know, they need to take everything out of the fraternity. There are about 20 winter coats there. You need them. And I said, please <laughs> bring them. So, and I spent a couple of days washing them, but we have some winter coats ready for the, the fall. So you, you don't it's know where, where you're going to get some of the items, but it was free. I mean, you can 
It's exciting yes. when God starts bringing everything together. As you take that one first step, um, you you just see how God. This is on God's heart. So you're you're working for Him, and He's going to lead you to the ones that are open. Amen. Amen. So I'm gonna, we, Julie. Can you please pass those out? Just, just take one there, and keep passing. Even if it's, if you give people more than one, um, some say what something you can do for refugees. But many of them are specifically serious refugees, countries that have had um, really huge difficulties, like Afghanistan, Somalia, the Rohingya out of Burma, South Sudan. Um, Burundi, Eritrea. Eritrea is just horrific what's going on there. Of course, Syria and the, the heartaches from, from beforehand. So um, I just want us, I want us to be able to move into a few minutes of prayer and just speak out your prayer strong and loud because I, I will walk around a little bit, but let's just have short phrases of prayer so that let's at least lift up the ones in your hand. If it says a country, you can pray for them for a moment. If it says a specific action, then pray for God's church to, to rise up and perhaps do what's on there or whatever else God puts in your heart as we pray. So. It'll be a little bit like United Prayer where you're just doing a sentence at a time so that you each of us can be praying, just lifting up the, the, the prayers before us. And feel free to sit or kneel either way. And a reminder to those who are listening online, if you go to reachtheworldnextdoor.com, you'll find under um, praying for the world next door, you'll find the prayer guide. And also, if you go to the one that's for Michigan, you will find the specific unreached peoples that have come to our cities listed there with colorful pictures that you can print out and use to help your church pray for the world next door. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we, as we have been moved and touched and inspired by many ideas that have been shared here this morning, we ask that you would move us into action, but that you would keep us also on our knees, recognizing that it is only by the miracle of the Holy Spirit that these people's needs will be met, not only physically, but emotionally and spiritually. Lord, we pray that you would inspire us with the spirit of grace and supplication, as you've promised in Zechariah, that we will be able to see Christ Jesus lifted up and crucified, and we will mourn for him. That is, we will repent and have a heart of love for him as one has for the loss of their only child. Lord, please give us that spirit of prayer now as we pray and lift up the needs of the unreached and the refugees. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come and specifically pray for those that have been cast out and to ask for the children in South Sudan. And Lord, any of this family group that may be in Michigan, that Lord, we may be able to reach them and provide these children with schooling. I just want to pray. Every refugee has a story. Our Lord, there's a lot of resources in our church and community, but we often don't know. We have a heart, but we don't have time. Connect us. 
in our church, other churches, people that aren't church, just because you're moving on everyone's heart. That's why you say you have the fatherless and the widow to keep us working together. And may we know how to network with everyone to meet the needs of these people. Thank you so much for the service that you have given to Scott and Julie, that they can reach the people who are suffering because of being displaced from their different countries. Thank you for the Rohingya refugees who are suffering in Myanmar. Lord, I ask that you have somebody who will reach out to them, just like the way the United States refugees are being saved. Help us also individually to have that desire to help those who are suffering and that your gospel can be reached out to even the Muslim people so that your coming can be blessed. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that we can get together to pray for those who are suffering in different places of the world. Most of the people, because of the displacement, because of uh, different challenges that uh, they face in different countries. In a special way, Lord, I want to, Lord, I want to uh, lift the people in Eritrea. The more than one in ten people in the in this northern eastern country of Africa has been uprooted, have been uprooted from their homes due to violence, lack of rain, and has also hurt this country terribly. Some of the people from that country have actually found a refuge in Europe and other places of the world. I pray, Lord, that you can uh, impress upon our hearts that we can be able to step up and help uh, the, the people who in the, in, from this region, from this, area, in this country. Whatever we can do, Lord, it, it doesn't have to be only people in Eritrea, but there are many other places. We can, give, we can make an impression in our hearts that we can be able to help with whatever little we can. Can go a long way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Father, I pray for the people of Somalia. This country has been torn by many years of war and frequent famines to the tune of now nearly a million people have left. And many have found refuge and safety in the United States. May we be the people that you're calling us to be to give them the truth that will set them free and not simply in a spiritual and doctrinal sense but in a daily hand-to-hand comfort spending time we talk about being busy help us to invest the time to just come alongside the person who's just had their loved one shot or in some other way lost. We can't feel what they feel, but we can just sit with them and be present. And maybe we can even feel it to the degree that tears will fall from our eyes. And we will, they will see that we are connected with them in ways we didn't even expect ourselves. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I'm going to ask you that you would 
Your will is for all to be saved and none to be lost and all to be able to see you as their heavenly father who is loving and kind. And Jesus, we, we ask according to your will that you would increase the labors, that you would thrust them out into the field for truly the harvest is ripe. And you've never made it easier than now to, to be a witness and a missionary. And so, Jesus, I plead that, that they would not have to suffer because we are slow, but that you would send the angels to help them if we are not at the place at the right time, but that you would also minister angels to meet the dear refugees' needs. And I also want to just pray for Asma, um, a Christian lady who is in Afghanistan. We just got another um, cry that said, Scott, I cannot live here any longer. And Lord, you know how hard it is for us to have tried to find a way to get her out. And we need an angel just to pick her up and her family and move her, fly her somewhere safe, Jesus. Yes. And I plead that for all the others that are in the same desperate need. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Well, now, Father, though there are still many more to pray for, and our hearts are burdened to keep praying, our time is up here. We just ask that you would give us an ongoing heart to pray, not only for our family, which is so dear to us, not only our church family, but for those that perhaps no one else is praying for. And she will help us to carry them close to our hearts as you have carried them close to your heart. And bless us to take and to live out this beautiful love, this righteousness, this glory of Jesus. Let it dawn. And in turn, let the healing come to our own churches, the revival to our own churches, as we both seek you and are at your feet and are still and let you, let you be exalted among the nations. And also as we actively go out to reach out and to care and to extend your love as you've taught us to. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio 22 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.